Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Jeremiah in the ninth chapter, the opening six verses. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have, been taught, they have taught their tongues to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the epistle of James in the fourth chapter, beginning at verse 4 and continuing through verse 6. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, good opposes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here ends this reading from God's Holy Word. These verses from the fourth chapter of James start out rather harsh in tone. I can almost imagine the sound of his voice as the author first read them to an audience in or around Jerusalem. There is some righteous indignation going on here, and that's something that we, the church, has often shied away from. Perhaps even more so as the centuries have worn on. It is, as the world has taught, far easier to catch flies with honey than with vinegar. Unless, of course, they're fruit flies, but that's another story. But as equally true and no less important as this proverbial saying, it is more faithful and loving to speak the truth than to conceal it. And that is, in part, the beauty of these few verses. And for that matter, the whole of this letter of James, the epistle was written in a conversational, informal style, with its share of ragged edges, to be sure, but clearly, from the impassioned point of view of one who loves God and his brothers and sisters in Christ. Chapter 4. Verses 4 through 6 that we heard this morning have been flagged 
by the editors of the revised common lectionary as seemingly falling outside the limits of polished, palatable theological thought and writing and have therefore been exercised from the list of suggested scriptural passages profitable for preaching from, which is exactly why I'm preaching from them. From my earliest seminary coursework, my professors repeatedly touted the value of using the lectionary as a basis for choosing weekly biblical texts to serve as sources for our sermons. And though not without their limitations, these annual collections of texts do provide a pretty wide range of subject matter from a pretty wide range of contributors, from Hebrew historians, prophets, and poets, to Christian apostles, converts, and mystics. There's plenty of material in the lectionary from Scripture to keep a preacher busy for many, many years. By and large, I am comfortable having a curated set of texts to present from week in and week out as starting points for my sermons. It helps me to focus on a much narrower subset of Scripture, and most importantly, it keeps me from sticking with only my favorite verses as the basis for weekly sermons or texts that support whatever my agenda happens to be in that moment. But there are times when, for various reasons, I sense the call to stray from the lectionary's suggestions, and this morning is one of those times. And the reason for it is, I think, very much related to the message contained within this text itself. Let me explain. These three verses were a conscious omission on the part of the editorial board of the Revised Common Lectionary. This appointed non-gospel New Testament reading for the day included several verses before these and a couple of verses after these, but it cuts these three out. They are not ready for prime time. There's a whole that's been carved out of God's word. And as I read it, I can't help but feel that it has left the holy text somewhat diminished as a result. Perhaps the editors redacted these words because they felt that ministers in their congregations don't need to share the sharpness of these words from James, that they were doing us a favor by sanitizing and filtering the rawness of the gospel message here, thus making it more, I don't know, perhaps less, less strident, more, well, less offensive, less contentious, more correct. Being the minister in a church, however, that was founded by dissenters, whose first pastor was an avowed dissenter and who was imprisoned on account of it. A congregation which has included and been supportive of dissenters down through her nearly 350 years, I'm less inclined to worry over scripture's political correctness and to worry more about faithfully interpreting the inspired word of God. So with apologies to the editors of the Revised Common Lectionary this week, 
This morning, I present to you these words of impassioned instruction from the book of James, warts and all. Friendship with the world, he writes, is enmity with God. The New Revised Standard Version renders it this way. Another translation reads, having a brotherly love for the world is having hostility toward God. John Wesley once summarized this tension by saying anything that cools my love for Christ is the world. Either way, the the meaning seems pretty clear. As Jesus taught, a person cannot have two masters. You were made by God. So if you choose to live in the world, you are an adulterer. But preacher, you might say, God is love. So how could a loving God ever speak so harshly to us? It borders on verbal abuse, and that could surely never be from my God. Yes, my brothers and sisters, God is indeed love and This same loving God, we are told over and over throughout the scriptural record, this God is also a jealous and a just God. He has made us lovingly in his image and commanded that our worship be of him and no other because he knows far better than do we that this is what is best, not just for him, But providentially, this is exactly that which is best for us as well. As we are reminded, as we follow his commands, and this is number one on the list that we were given, follow it and it will go well for us and our children and our children's children. Adulterers! So begins this text. That ought to get folks' attention. Who, me, receivers of this letter may have asked? Of course not. You know me. You know us. We're all good people. We're innocent of such a charge. Well, most of us anyway. But how could you even make such an accusation against us? That's not very nice. And well, it may not be nice. In fact, it may seem a bit ugly, but it is the ugly truth. The ugly truth the author of James is calling out cannot be sugar-coated. There is no polite way to address apostasy, and that is precisely the charge he is leveling against those who do not remain faithful to the marriage covenant of the Lamb. They certainly don't want to hear this, just as we certainly don't want to hear this. And that may well be why the editors of the Revised Common Lectionary chose to sanitize the opening of James chapter 4. As some of you are aware, the day after our homecoming service, I'm driving to a Reformed Theology Conference in South Carolina. And the group that is organizing the event also publishes a print journal and they share periodic emails. And the most recent of these electronic reflections, which came last week, was the next installment in a series 
Reviewing John Calvin's published systematic theology titled Institutes of the Christian Religion. Well, providentially, this chapter dealt with the Christian life, and the author summarizes Calvin's view by defining the three components he said may not sound very attractive to us. Number one, the denial of ourselves. Number two, Bearing the cross. Number three, meditation on the future life. And he goes on to say that the first step of the Christian life and indeed the sum of the Christian life is the denial of self. This is not for the sake simply of denial, but for the sake of serving God instead of self. This includes the awareness that we do not belong to ourselves, but instead belong to God. In this morning's redacted reading of the lectionary from James, this theme is precisely at the center of the author's thoughts and arguments. And we should not be diminished in our hearing and understanding and even appreciating God's word and his will just because it is related to us in what some might find to be uncomfortable language. It has been said that the very purpose of the gospel is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And that sounds just about right, until, that is, we find ourselves among the comfortable. So it is good, then, to be awakened from our slumber. It is healthy to be shaken out of our malaise by a God who loves us enough not to let us be, not to leave us alone to find our way to perdition. But the author of James here uses a sexual sin to get our attention. The greater sin he is pointing to is that of idolatry, of sinning, not just in the flesh, but in the spirit. When we stray from God and make and take for ourselves the idols of the world, that's precisely what we're doing. We are cheating on God. And that is certainly not in our best interest. Whether it be the intentional worshiping of the false gods of the Canaanites or failing to acknowledge and obey the one true God, you are a religious adulterer. And if you claim to be a Christian, whether it be intentionally being unscrupulous in your business practices or just looking the other way when someone is cheated, whether you scorn the poor or just simply fail to provide for the needy, whether you have hostility for your brothers and sisters or just lack affinity for your neighbors, you are a religious idolater. Whenever you put your own wants, desires, and pleasures ahead of the expressed will of God for your life, you are a religious idolater. So the unfortunate truth is, to one extent or to another, at one time or many, many times over in our Christian lives, we are all guilty of being religious idolaters. We are adulterers. 
But after rudely getting our attention, these three lectionary redacted verses from James conclude with this remarkable observation of God's everlasting love for his wayward children, that the sovereign and merciful God knows our human condition, and he loves us enough to continue to pour out upon us his unmerited grace. And that grace, my friends, is sufficient for us. It allows us to acknowledge, to confess, and yes, to repent, to turn away from the world in ways that we could not do of our own volition. It provides us the strength that we don't possess in our own minds, our own bodies, our own wills, that which enables us to deny ourselves and to live instead for God according to his expressed will and desire for his creations. This grace is not cheap, but it is free. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.